Welcome to the FinTech One-on-One Podcast, episode number 329. This is your host, Peter Renton, chairman and co-founder of Lendit FinTech. Today's episode is brought to you by Lendit FinTech LATAM, the region's leading FinTech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lendit Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome back Jason Wilk. He is the CEO and co-founder of Dave. Now, Jason was on the show back in 2019, but I wanted to get him back on because a lot has changed since then. They're in the process of going through a SPAC merger where they'll become a public company. And so we, we talk a little bit about that. You know, we talk about the different features that Dave offers today, in particular the bank account. We go into some depth about what their bank account's all about and how they're getting people to sign up for it. You know, we talk about the financial health of their customers. You know, we talk about overdraft fees because they've been such an important part of sort of the movement to eliminate overdraft fees or at least reduce them and We talk uh, quite a lot about that. We talk about how they've been able to create a company that was one of the fastest growing neobanks in the country and yet have raised such little capital. We, We go in depth on that. We talk about their SPAC, the relationship with Victory Park that actually goes back quite a long time. And then uh, what's on tap for, for next year and beyond. It was a fascinating episode. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Jason. Thanks, Peter. Great to be back. Okay. So lots happened since uh, since we last uh, had you on. It was a bit over two years ago. Why don't you just give us some of the highlights of how Dave has grown and changed you know, since 2019? A lot has changed. We obviously are on the precipice of going public here in the next several weeks, which we're uh, very excited about. That will uh, really change the game for us in terms of the amount of capital we'll have in the company. We've been a very capital efficient business. We've only raised 61 million of primary capital to date, which is far less than our peers. And we've still been able to acquire millions and millions of, of customers. But for us, we're very excited to have the capital to grow the business, keep growing the team. We're about 250 uh, days now, which we're, we're excited about. We think that there's some meaningful M&A opportunity out there for us to have that public currency. We've looked at a couple of deals we got very close to over the last two years and lost out both times to companies that have public currency to give away to the acquiring company. So that was uh, quite frustrating. But also we think that as we're trying to win primary account status with our members, having that that stock ticker or giving people the trust and comfort that they're banking with a, a public company, we think has an intangible effect as well that we're, we're excited to explore. Right, right. And you have a public stock ticker that is your company name, right? I think it's going out as Dave. Yes. Yeah. VPCC right now, but yeah, it will be the Dave ticker. So that's something we've, we've always uh, wanted. We've been in contact with NASDAQ for a few years about that just to make sure no one ever ever takes it. And for the majority of the time, it's been owned by, uh, I believe, Dave's Barbecue. It was a publicly <laughs> uh, barbecue retailer that had it. And they finally relinquished it and now trade under the name of, I think they just have Barbecue as the ticker. So we were the fortunate beneficiary of that. All right, right. That's, that's great. 
Let's get it right into it and talk about the Dave bank account. I, I don't think it was live last time we chatted. If it was, it was just in its infancy. But you just said in the intro there that you're really focusing on having it be the primary account. And maybe just start with, tell us some of the features of the Dave account. Yeah, so the Dave bank account is the primary focus for the company at this point. Obviously, our advanced service is still critical to the success, but we feel that that product really works very well in tandem with a no-fee bank account. Right. And to date, the history of the business, obviously, was we would help you avoid overdraft fees at your existing bank. So you'd come in, you'd connect your Chase or Wells account, we'd emerge you about a bill, and we'd send you money to, to help you cure the, the negative balance. And we were certainly able to have a, a major impact on people's financial health by doing so, but nothing better than if we were to offer our, our own account. We can literally save our customers $400 a year in bank fees by coming over and switching their account to us. So that's been really the primary shift of the company to focus on our account. Our bank account comes with no minimum balance fees, no overdraft fees. So those are the two primary ones that our customers are, are mostly getting hit with. But we also have some really unique features around there, which will predict your upcoming bills. We submit your rent and utility payments to the credit bureau so you can actually boost your credit score just by paying your cell phone bill or your rent on time, mm-hmm. which is very cool. And then we obviously have our well-known side hustle feature, which gives you access to a bunch of different opportunities to make money on the side. And we have 35 partners in there from DoorDash to Instacart and more. Right, right. Okay. So let's talk a bit about the side hustle thing. I think you had it when we last chatted, but it didn't seem to be as much of a focus. I've seen you talk about it in the press before, and I think it's in your deck for your SPAC merger. So maybe talk about what is the side hustle? Just describe how it works. Ultimately, we're trying to build products that the big banks would never do. And so that really started with disrupting overdraft, helping people understand what bills are coming up, and really using data to the customer's advantage to help them have a better experience. Helping people earn money was something that we thought was a fairly unique opportunity that we felt the major banks were not offering. And so Side Hustle was born. We saw that there was an explosion of the gig economy happening. We could see in our own data that we had quite a few members driving for Uber and Lyft as a way to supplement their income. And so we figured, why not launch our own marketplace to expose all these great opportunities that were out there? Because everyone knew about Uber and Lyft, but no one knew if DoorDash or Instacart or these other cool things are coming to your town. And given our wide footprint across everywhere from banking deserts to major metropolises, it's impossible to keep track of all the new opportunities coming to your area. Mm -hmm. We think a lot about helping our members earn more money at the business, and you can do that by cutting down their exposure to fees, or you can do that by actually putting more money in their pocket from earning too. Something we're exploring more as a theme here at the company. Right, right. That's great. Because I always think that avoiding fees is great for people's financial health, but what they really need more than anything, it feels like, is more money. I mean, can you give us some metrics around it? Like how much are people engaging with it? It's significant. And through COVID, we saw a, a huge uptick in that product as well. We processed over, I think it's about 4 million job applications through that product at this point. And we can track the uh, pre and post application process from their finances. And these members have earned hundreds of millions of dollars in income that they didn't, you know, otherwise didn't have access to prior to finding this feature. So who is coming to Dave today? Is it still the same type of person that you've always had? Or maybe you just describe who that person is. We are banking the everyday American consumer that is living paycheck to paycheck. And that paycheck to paycheck definition can be pretty broad from, a, from an income perspective. And so while I would say today we're mostly serving customers who are the most impacted 
the highest need members who are paying the most in bank fees. We think those are really the first early adopters that are willing to take the leap to digital banking because they are being so screwed by fees. And if you're tired of paying $40 fees on buying a $5 cup of coffee, that's why you come over to Dave. I think as we become more of a household name, we'll start to move up the income scale and move into folks that are more slightly impacted or just having a very not impactful relationship with their bank. They're not getting much out of it other than it's a place to you know, sort of move money around. We think there's so much more to create a superior experience for folks that are living paycheck to paycheck that they've never had access to before. A lot of our customers have been used to banking at a corner store or buying their bank off a of J-hook at Walmart. We're now able to provide them with an amazing experience. And as we become a more household name, we think that our income scale at Dave can go from those making 10000 all the way up to those making $150,000 a year. If they need help moving forward, we're a great product for them. Right, right. So then we've gone through this pandemic where we've had a lot of government support and you keep hearing about how a lot of the people living paycheck to paycheck have actually paid down debt and actually had a, a relatively better time than they have historically. How have you been tracking the financial health of, of your customers you know, since the start of the pandemic? We've seen the government support make a major shift in our customers' finances. I mean, before that, you see the average customer cannot afford a $400 emergency, oftentimes why they're coming to the, the overdraft product we offer in, in general. But there was a, a New York Times article a couple of weeks ago about how the average checking account balance across the country is over $1,000 for the first time in, in history. And all that government support is, is really what's causing it. And so it's been interesting to see. And we've seen balances go up. We just rolled out a savings goal product called Goals, which we're seeing already you know, millions of dollars of deposits into that product already. Had we launched that pre-pandemic, I don't think you would nearly see that without the support. And now, obviously, we're seeing inflation be a, you know, a major result of, of all this government uh, money coming into the system as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you see less usage of the overdraft product over the last uh, 18 months because of that government support? Yeah, absolutely. Every time a trillion dollars of money hits the system, <laughs> the need for overdraft protection uh, certainly goes down. And then as we see months progress and go beyond, you know, the demand for that product then goes back up as people get back into to more of their habits. But, you know, we also see just general demand for that product go down a little bit as we get customers primarily banking with Dave. As, as I said at the beginning of the call, our average member, when they first joined Dave and we can see their connected account, the average is $400 a year they're paying in fees to their bank. And so if we can put that back in a member's pocket, the reliance goes down on the overdraft product. But our goal is that, you know, we have a much longer relationship with that customer over time as we do things to add to their financial opportunity. Okay. So then, you know, you've often got the drove overdraft product, I think early direct deposit, you've got the credit building thing you mentioned, side hustle is there. What is most popular with your customers today? Well, checking their upcoming expenses is certainly something that's very popular. You get a lot of interaction with those that want to know what bills are coming up. That was the original feature of Dave. And that's one of the reasons why I built the company I was so fed up with my bank telling me what my current balance was, but not letting me know what transactions I have coming in the future, which could lead my balance to, to end up in a negative state. And so that predictive feature is very impactful for people. The overjack product is still hugely popular with a significant amount of our customers engaging with that on a monthly basis. And then now we're seeing just uh, people checking their debit card balance and swiping their card becoming the most popular feature quickly. Right, right. Gotcha. So then... It feels like this year, there's been a lot of movement on the overdraft front. Like you're starting to see banks 
either saying they're moving away from overdrafts or they're doing things that are actually healthy for their customers. This just wasn't being talked about two and a half years ago. And when you started, Dave, at all, it feels like you were a pioneer here and really shining the light on overdrafts and how there's a better way. So what do you make about all of the movement of banks You know, in some of the biggest banks in the country are really starting to make moves where they're trying to minimize the overdraft impact on their customers? We are seeing uh, more friendly overdraft becoming table stakes for customers. You know, we like to pat ourselves on the back you know, <laughs> for, for changing an industry. And if, if that's all we ever did as a company, you know, three guys getting into a room that were fed up with overdraft creating this business, you know, that's a pretty cool thing that we could change the space. But there's just so much more to continue to disrupt in the industry. You know, the big banks have not changed their ways. UDC some commercials like with PNC, I believe they have some sort of low balance safety alert, but they still charge the fees and just make, make sure they don't reorder your transactions in a negative way that ultimately incurs $100 of overdraft fees in a single day. So there's a, still a long way to go, even though, at least from our peer set, we've made sure that free overdraft is a table stakes type of service. Yeah. You can't have a digital bank or a neobank today that doesn't have it. Kudos to you guys for really being the first there. But I think that that is now a real change that you guys have really pioneered. So I want to I switch gears a little bit and talk about the financial health of the American consumer. You say it's obviously done a little bit better with the government support, but assuming we're coming out of the pandemic, assuming that there's going to be no more you know, major government. I know that the new law that was passed does extend some of the child tax credits through the end of next year, which I think will be really helpful for many people. But what's it going to take and what are your sort of thoughts on the tens of millions of people who are living paycheck to paycheck? We just want them to have a bit more stability long-term. How do you feel like that is going to happen? Well, we are expanding our products you know, consistently because I, I think where we started with the business was helping people sort of get more stable. But I think if you really want to have a bank of customer long-term, you need to then create opportunity for them. So we're looking at a wide array of, of new features that helps our customers actually double down on earning more money, whether that's through interest or investing, or there's a wide array of things I think you can really do to help people. But also it's been great that we disrupted overdraft, but if you look at just sort of where fees and interest are really spent for financially vulnerable folks that are living paycheck to paycheck, overdraft's about $20 billion a year short-term credit, uh, the average American is paying about $300 billion a year in fees. Wow. And so there's just a lot to disrupt still in the space. It's going to take us time. And it's one of the reasons why we wanted to go public because we think it's a good investor story for people to be in now and grow with this business that is just ripe for disruption across uh, a wide array of their products. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, when you say that $300 billion in fees and a lot of that is obviously pretty high interest type products, that feels like a bigger problem than the overdraft problem. I mean, from a sheer dollar perspective, it, it certainly is. And if you look at those that are financially healthy and have high credit scores, the amount of money they're paying annually on fees is below $60 billion. And if you look at minorities, you know, minority that are financially vulnerable are paying off 13% of their income is going towards paying bank fees and interest for credit. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Right. That's where we still have work to do. It's, it's one of my favorite topics is particularly like the small dollar loans. I feel like there's so much room for better products still, even after you know a decade or, or a fintech movement, it feels like we've still got a ways to go. But anyway, um, I want to talk a little bit about just the, the neobanks in general. It feels like there's more niche kind of uh, neobanks coming up every month. And it feels like that, you know, you talked about the banks are really 
getting the message that some of the things they have to change, but still the vast majority of Americans still bank with a large bank. And sometimes they'll have a large bank and they'll have a neobank. That's what I do. And um, what are your thoughts on banks actually changing here and making neobanks less relevant? Or do you feel like that neobanks are always going to be you know, one step ahead? I think the neobanks will always be one step ahead. I think the banks have a major advantage that even though people are fed up with the fees, there is something trustworthy about keeping your money with a established institution. And so while there is an explosion of neobanks and there's a neobank for every particular niche at this point, it feels a lot like the early days of social networks where like there was a social network for anything. You know, one or two players ultimately arose as the, the ultimate destination. So I think we're going to see something pretty similar in the neobanking space. But ultimately, again, another reason why we're you know interested in getting public is I think the winners are going to be able to create a household name and build that trust for consumers. Because the ultimate people who are willing to switch over their primary account status or transact with a neobank, it's going to be that very, very early adopter. You want to start getting those that are comfortable with moving a significant portion of their paycheck over. It's going to be with someone that you've seen seven or eight times in, in market, something that your friends and family are using for validation. And right. with, with that in mind, there's, there's only going to be a handful of winners or, or less, in, in my opinion. And then there'll be this massive long tail that may get 100 or 200,000 you know, customers in total, but it will top out. Right, right. That makes sense. So then, so is it primarily trust? You know, obviously you need to get the word out. I'm thinking about like going public, obviously you talk about it does build a lot more trust and financial services is built on trust. Is that the primary reason to go public or is there more to it? It's just, you know, capital, trust, M&A, and you know, having the currency to continue to growing our, uh, our fast moving uh, team here. Right. So obviously capital is important. I mean, like we've seen how in the in the crypto space, there's obviously some in the fintech space more generally with their names on sports arenas. We're going to see a Dave uh, Stadium coming down the track. You never know. You never know. <laughs> I mean, there, there's something about that. I mean, many will say that that's a waste of money, but others will say that you know doing things like that can be some of the best brand exposure and trust building that you can do. Yeah, I've come around. I thought uh, it was a waste of money initially, but now having seen uh, like SoFi being out there on TV every single week in the football season, brand awareness, it feels like it's such a great way to do it. But anyway, it's really fascinating to me. You mentioned this in the intro that you've you've raised you know, just over $60 million of equity funding. Many of your competitors, they do many times that every time they go out and raise money and they're on a you know series E or F or whatever. It's curious to me that you haven't done that. You know, I think there's not many companies with maybe there might, might be one more that there's bigger than Dave. I mean, is it really word of mouth that you focused on to try and grow? You said you know, north of 10 million now. Is that the main driver of the growth of your customer base? It is still the biggest source of traffic for us is organic word of mouth, which I think has been helpful for us. Paid advertising is certainly important and some of our peers have done a good job at that, but Ultimately, you can only spend so much per month while hitting uh, you know, the same level of efficiency. And so we've, we've found a very good balance of growth between word of mouth and pay that, uh, that works really well for us. And it hasn't required a, you know, a significant amount of capital. Now, I think there's a lot of ways we can put more money to work effectively, but it's going to come a lot more strategically than just putting more money in the Facebook machine. That's proven to be a very competitive place to go acquire customers. And we think there's a, you know, a better way to go about that, which we're excited to, to explore right now. 
Right, right. Okay. Can you maybe just take us through the the ways you're generating revenue today? I mean, is the tipping thing still there? I mean, interchange? I mean, what, what are the different ways that you are generating revenue? Right now, we're generating revenue. We still have a $1 per month subscription fee. We obviously drive revenue from interchange on uh, every MasterCard debit swipe. So making about 1% to 1.5% on every swipe. We make money off of referral fees for side hustle. And then on extra cash, we have completely optional fees like tips. So customers can opt to pay us a optional fee if we help them avoid an overdraft, which uh, is something that our customers have come to love. And for every percent that someone tips us, we actually pledge a meal to Feeding America. We've donated millions of meals to date so far, which is awesome. It's a great way for the company to give back, but it's also a great way for our members to give back when they're also in a time of need. Right. Are they avoiding overdraft fees? Like, do you have some stats there around, you said that you had like $400 annually before they start with Dave. And obviously some people, they need the emergency overdraft, but they still might end up overdrawing. Do you have any stats around um, how your customers are avoiding overdraft fees? It's about a billion dollars in overdraft fees saved so far from members. And that's one of the reasons why we've dug in so hard on Dave Banking, because we're able to cut down the overdraft fees significantly for people that, at their external bank. But then when we get people into day banking, which doesn't have overdraft fees at all, you start to see the fees plummet down to zero. That's what we love to see. Even though people use our overdraft product at their existing institution, you still see them incurring some fees. We can't prevent uh, everything. So that's why we're just trying to really promote our own product at this point. Right, right. So, so then you're moving people into your own product. But I imagine the big thing is getting their paycheck into there, right? I mean, is that like, because one thing to open up a Dave bank account, but really what you really want is the payroll going in there, right? Any kind of repeat funding activity we see is a huge driver of long-term retention for the customer. Right. Okay. So I want to talk about the SPAC merger. I know that there's certain things you can't say, but one of the great things about a SPAC is that you can talk about the future, which I know you can't do if it's a regular IPO. But you know, Victory Park is very well known in the fintech space. They've been a, you know, a real early supporter of many companies in the space. So tell us a little bit about your relationship there, because I believe that you've had quite a long relationship with those guys. Tell us how that developed. Yeah. So Victory Park, they came recommended to me even before I started the company. I was really thinking about this new idea called Dave, and I wanted to disrupt overdraft, and I had this model for it. And one thing was top of my mind was like, how am I going to afford to cover all these overdraft advances for people? And so some got introduced to Victory Park. I think that was probably in 2015 or right around that time. Got introduced to Brendan Carroll, who's actually the CEO of the this back we're going live with. So he's been privy to this idea since the very first day I thought of the idea almost, which is pretty cool to see you know, him looking at the evolution of the company. And then the other main partner, Jason Brown, ended up randomly being a member of the same uh, tennis club that I played at <laughs> in LA. <laughs> so I've been in a Friday doubles group with Victory Park for the last four or five years as well. And they've just been you know, amazing for advice, but also they've been an equity investor and a debt investor in the company for quite some time too. And so when it came to going public, there's obviously a, a wide range of SPAC sponsors you can go with, but we wanted people that knew the business, cared about the space, cared about financial inclusion, and also understood the regulatory you know, landscape as well. Because everyone else there is much more financially motivated. Victory Park had a lot more to bring to the table. Yeah, Brendan is really well respected. I mean, we had him on a, a SPAC uh, webinar we did earlier this year. That, unlike others, he's done many SPACs over the years. And uh, so, 
Why did you decide to do the SPAC route, though, as opposed to the traditional IPO? Well, we were actually exploring either was it going to be a private round or was it going to be a going public transaction? And ultimately, it was we had aligned on a price with a marquee investor with uh, with Tiger Global, and they had said if we wanted to go the public route, that they would be our anchor investor with a hundred fifty million dollar check. And in my opinion, there's no one more well respected in the space. They have the best fintech investments globally. So we figured to get that kind of validation from a sophisticated crossover investor that this was the right time for us to go do it. The company also been very capital efficient to date. We weren't really burning much at all. We've largely been profitable since the inception of the company. And so raising a lot more private capital didn't make as much sense as in terms of going public. And so when we had that validation from Tiger, we had the amount of uh, capital guaranteed. We had the valuation set. That gave us a lot more comfort than going down a traditional IPO route where there's still a lot of uncertainty around price until the very last minute. And there's also uncertainty around the amount of capital. And so we knew we had both of those going into this. And Tiger said we could pick whoever SPAC sponsor we wanted. And Victory Park was obviously the easy choice right in front of us. So how, how has this process been? I mean, I think it was, was it June or July. I think you guys went public with the announcement. How, how has the last four or five months been? It's been slow, to be honest. <laughs> One of the reasons why I do a SPAC, it's not the only reason, but speed is, you know, Aside from certainty of capital and forward-looking projections and statements, speed is certainly one of those. And I think if we decided to do a traditional IPO, we would be looking probably at a similar time frame at this point. It's tough to say, just given there's so much volume of, of companies going public right now, the SEC is just backlogged and these guys are not paid for efficiency, right? They're, they're paid to just make sure all the boxes are checked. And so they're not incentivized to move any faster or slower. And so we've just been at the mercy of their ability to, to move through questions and get us approved. So I know you probably don't know the answer to this, but is it, are you still on track for, I think you said it was hopefully closing by year end is, or is the SEC kind of pushing that out a little? You know, it's going to be close, especially with all the holiday season stuff. You know, they're not paid to you know, go faster than, than otherwise. I can't say for certain what the actual date will be, but uh, you know, we are cutting it close. Right, right. Okay, so then um, last question before we wrap. I'd love to get your sense. I mean, I, I went through your deck. You've got a lot of interesting things happening, a lot of growth uh, on tap for next year and beyond. So you know, I'd love to hear some of the highlights of what you're focused on uh, in 2022 and, uh, and beyond. Yeah. So for next year, we are really focused on just making Dave a superior experience. I think to date, we've been a very basic experience for our customers. They come in, you know, they have access to check cashing, basic checking needs, access to overdraft protection, but we really want to make sure that our products are to exceed the overall experience of these major banks. And that's going to be a big focus for us on 2022. And coupled with a strategy to become a household name, we think that uh, that combination is going to be very effective to be an awesome business. Right. Well, um, good luck with that, uh, Jason. I hope the the SPAC uh, merger goes well and uh, we'll be following along with great interest. You've already changed uh, the finance world with what you've done with overdrafts, and uh, I'm excited to see what lays ahead. So thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Peter. Great to be here as always. Okay. See ya. It's really interesting to me that really in the span of, I don't know, about 12 months, shall we say, where we're seeing a whole raft of new public companies emerge in the fintech space, particularly in the neobank space. And, you know, and Jason sort of, you know, shared the reasons behind what they're doing. And I think it is interesting that, you know, neobanks are becoming 
the, the leaders of tomorrow. They're hard to ignore now. When you've got 10 million customers, that is bigger than most banks in this country, you know, and they're continuing to grow, continuing to add new customers. And reminds me of a conversation I had with Frank Rotman from QED uh, the other day, and he was talking about the market cap of banks and how if you add up all the banks, it's trillions of dollars of market cap that exists. And some of that market cap is moving to the fintech space and it could be a huge chunk of it. And so we may end up with trillions of dollars of market cap in fintech companies over the next decade. And uh, it's super interesting. Digital banks are really being relied upon by more and more people. And as they build up the trust and build up the capital, you're going to find them become, I would argue, dominant players in the banking space. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was brought to you by Lendit Fintech LATAM, the region's leading fintech event. It's happening both online and in person in Miami on December 7th and 8th. Latin America is still the hottest region for fintech in the world, and Lendit Fintech LATAM features the leading players in the region. So join the LATAM fintech community this year, where you will meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. In-person and virtual tickets are available at lendit.com slash LATAM. <laughs>